This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. At the time of this recording, Hurricane Laura pounds the Gulf Coast. Wildfires are raging in California and Colorado. And the National Basketball Association pauses their playoff games. And all of this is happening on the backdrop of a couple of disturbing events that fall under the title of the pandemic of injustice. 29-year-old African-American man, Jacob Blake, was shot at close range, point blank, in the back, seven shots fired by a police officer. And this was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And what's even more disturbing about this incident is he was unarmed and he was with his three little children in his car. At this time, Jacob Blake is in the hospital and he is now paralyzed from the waist down from his injuries. He sustained a number of injuries from the shooting, a wound to his arm, damage to his kidney and his liver, Damage to the spinal cord, which resulted in the paralysis. It's unclear if the paralysis will be permanent or temporary. Damage to his colon and small intestine, so that they are likely to have to be removed. And multiple holes in his stomach. Now, at the same time, very similar time frame, a young white man, 17 years old, shows up at peaceful protest, also in Kenosha, and he's carrying an automatic assault rifle and is allowed to walk around the environment without being stopped by police. And in fact, the police often speak to him and act as though everything is fine. And this 17-year-old white man named Kyle Rittenhouse comes to the protest ostensibly to be a vigilante, self-proclaimed militia person to protect businesses in the area from damage as a result of the demonstrations. While there, with his weapon, he kills two people and seriously injures a third. Kyle is not arrested at that time, he's not shot, and his life is not endangered. Subsequently, He does get arrested for these premeditated and intentional murders. However, it's just interesting to juxtapose the difference between what happens to a Black man unarmed and with his children who has not killed anyone in comparison to this white man who is armed with an assault weapon and does kill people 
and it's known that he has done so. As a result of this difficulty and this outrage, the NBA paused their games during the playoff season. 75% of the NBA are Black players. The majority of those players come from everyday circumstances and everyday homes, and they understand that this pandemic of racism is not new. It's been going on for many years, and they understand that they, too, were targeted in similar ways. And clearly, some of their relatives and friends continue to be targeted in similar ways. LeBron James, who is a star basketball player for the LA Lakers right now, he was quoted as saying, we demand change, just sick of it. And that's really an appropriate sentiment for all that's going on right now. And if I put on an organizational lens and I think about the fact that the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention, both have just taken place in the United States and it's just before the presidential election in November. We have to ask an important leadership question and that is, what is it about the organizational culture or environment that would allow such atrocities to happen and where the law is not applied equally or justly to people. Rather, the Black person gets the law experience of shoot first and ask questions later, while the white young man, having killed people at a similar event, gets to go home and to be safely arrested later. When I think about organizations in corporate environments and corporate cultures, and if there's some behavior that's going on in that company that the leadership does not want and does not prefer, we have to ask the question, what are the parameters in your organization that allow for this unwanted behavior to continue. And in order to get the unwanted behavior to stop, whatever is reinforcing that behavior or whatever is preventing a sanctioning of that behavior has to be stopped. The same is true when we think about countries and when we think about governments and leadership of governments. What is the messaging that says it is okay to kill some of our citizens in this way or to harm them in this way, and it's not okay to do it for others? When we take a look at Jacob Blake and his life, his family members say that he was most of all a family man. That included his sisters and his mother, his extended family, and most of all, his children, very active in his children's lives. What kind of culture would say that it's okay to shoot a father seven times at close range 
right next to his car and his three little children in the car. Have we become so calloused and so heartless that we don't think about the long-term consequences and damage for those children seeing their father cut down on the street in that way and then subsequently seeing their father not even able to walk again from paralysis. I am very disturbed to look at the United States and see a potential culture that does not take into account the impact on little children. And as a psychologist, I'm aware that these children will be traumatized probably for the rest of their life because of what they witnessed. And as a parent, I wouldn't even want them to watch that on a television program. And now they're seeing it happen to their very own beloved father. And there's nothing they can do about it. They're powerless. Fortunately, the whole incident was captured on a video from an uninvolved person who was watching from the window the whole situation and was able to capture what occurred. And that video has gone viral and it is chilling to even see it or to watch it. As I've said in previous podcasts on the pandemic of injustice, we have to come to a point when improper behavior, even by those in authority, even if they are our police officers, has to be sanctioned, has to be punished routinely so that the cultural message is we will not tolerate this behavior anymore. Now, I am not at all a proponent for defunding the police. In fact, I think funding for the police is essential so that the proper training does take place. As a former army officer, I know that the rules of engagement for battle are very specific and very precise. Just because you are dealing with an enemy, even in combat, does not permit you to kill that enemy any way you want to and any place you want to. Again, there are rules of engagement and the training that we receive teaches us how to be measured in our responses and to have multiple responses so that the lethal response is not early on or upfront or with an unarmed person. There are so many other appropriate responses that can be taken first and second and third and even fourth if necessary. So our policemen also have to be trained in a way to know how to de-escalate difficult situations in the moment. The job of a police officer is very difficult and very tough, and they're often dealing with true criminals. And I understand that that's not easy. And yet those people who are suited for the job, they have a wiring, a personality, and a training that's able 
to be self-controlled in these very difficult situations. In March of 2020, I did an interview with a guest, Dr. Carol Green, and we were talking about military operators and how that for the elite forces in the military, there's an important vetting process for selection and also an important training process. And that clearly also needs to happen with our police forces throughout the United States. And if someone is not an appropriate person for the job, first, we need to weed them out on the selection end. And if for some reason they get selected and don't have the requisite skills or demeanor, then we need to make sure that those individuals are not retained on the police force. So I think the funding for police departments needs to be used in part to ensure proper selection and training and ongoing development. At the highest levels of leadership in our country, it's also important for those in the presidential office to be thinking about what in our society, what in our environment may inadvertently be communicating to people that this behavior is okay. And whatever that is, we need to change that narrative and make sure that the perpetrators of these injustices are themselves brought to justice. Jacob Blake's mother talked about the fact that their family believes in the power of prayer and forgiveness. And even though a police officer shot and significantly harmed her son without appropriate provocation, she still called for those demonstrating in the street to demonstrate peacefully, saying that her son would not approve of and not appreciate a violent approach or destruction or additional loss of life. And she herself at the hospital prayed with another police officer. This reminds me of what happened in South Carolina at the church shooting where a number of church members were shot and killed by a young man who was a white supremacist who came to the service, participated in the service with the full intent of killing people. After that incident, the church pastor who lost his wife in that shooting, as well as other members of that black church offered and extended forgiveness to the perpetrator. So what I'm saying is that if some people are able with tremendous loss and difficulty to extend the olive branch of forgiveness, then our trained police officers need to do that and more. So we are again at the crossroads where we're asking the question, will the United States stand for liberty and justice for all. Is this really the home of the free 
and the brave. At this time, Black American citizens are not free. And those who cut their lives down in the street are not brave. Let's take a look at the culture that allows these atrocities and commit to changing those dynamics and parameters. And that is true leadership. Did you know that teams do the bulk of the work in successful organizations? And for this reason, it's very important to build and develop your teams. And first, you might want to know where you are in the process. So I invite you to take the complimentary team assessment to identify your current strengths and also your learning opportunities in launching and developing high-performance teams that get dynamic organizational results. So go to my website, www.transleadership.com, and you'll see on the homepage, there's a brown bar that says, take the high-performance team assessment. You'll find it just under the running photographs. Click there and get your results. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.